our conversation continues. We're on chapter 14 and Krishna has seen it fit once again to share with us a little bit deeper about the gunas and we've been really having a lot of fun with finding so many different ways to not just apply them but approach them, understand them and hopefully by the end of this chapter to really use them as a very very powerful tool of awareness and also just as a practical tool on how to live. We're on verse 9. Sattva attaches one to happiness, Rajas to activity, and Tamas by stifling discrimination submerges one in difficulties. So again, Krishna, and throughout this chapter, you'll see he'll, he'll bring out different aspects of this is what Sattva does, this is what Rajas does, this is what Tamas does. And now he's talking about, and he's shared this before, he says Sattva is all about, I mean, there's still attachment, which is an interesting reality to Sattva, but he said attaches us to happiness, which means it allows us to kind of raise and rise the energy upward throughout the Gita when we talk about the inner flow of prana we've mentioned again and again when the energy rises up we naturally experience states of joy states of expansion states of um, what we would call good <laughs> and then if the energy flows downward we experience states of ignorance of depression of disappointments of anger and so on and so forth things we would term bad but the good and bad really is the relativistic flow of life force within us and sattva and tamas are those two ends so when we're in the state of sattva happiness should be to a certain degree the bottom line of sattva whereas for rajas the basic quality of rajas is one of activity so if we look at these two flows of directions we're talking about sattva is an upward flow tamas of course is a downward flow and rajas is an outward flow kind of keeping us on that same plane. However, Rajas has the quality that in being outward, either the energy lifts us up or the energy takes us downward. Either Rajas moves towards self-upliftment and expansion or self-contraction and self-indulgence. That will take us to Tamas. What's interesting here about Krishna, he said this before about Tamas is, it submerges one in difficulties. Anytime we're in a vibration where we think things are hard, things are really difficult, there's a great tendency in us to naturally go into tamas, which is, I don't want to deal with it. You know, ah, why is it in my life? I just, you know, all I really want is life to be really, really easy all the time. And the energy just naturally drops. And what we would normally think, however, is the difficulty, because there's difficulty, we tend to drop our energy. But the way Krishna is presenting it to us is, as our energy drops, difficulties naturally arise in our lives. Which means if we keep our energy high, and we keep our energy uplifted, difficulties itself as a vibration will have a hard time to affect us. However, it's not about, oh, right now I'm high, so why are difficulties coming? The beauty of the gunas are that they are long-term rhythms of our lives as well. Because we've so often been 
in low states so often have we embraced thomas with all our love saying ki ah i just don't want to put out any energy i don't want to think of anything but myself you know that state once registered in the universe is going to bring about whatever that state vibrates with and according to krishna it vibrates with difficulties in a previous stanza which was 6 he talked about sattva being a state of health and thereby by contrast um tamas being a state of disease and we just talked about us looking at the world today uh the one thing that has somehow gripped us all is this disease and of course as a consequence the fear that it brings about the mistrust that it brings about my father i was talking to him the other day and my father's on the on a camp which says you know all of this is a big hoax and it's just a conspiracy theory and you know it's all about systems trying to control us and you know it's just they're trying to get us into place lock us in our places you know, i mean and this is apparently a fairly widespread way of thinking and so he was talking to me and you know naturally he he was sharing with me these thoughts of oh yeah one more you know lockdown one more way to keep us <laughs> cooped up and caged and what on and then he finally said you know i mean we've been having these conversations for a while he finally said uh, by the way i've never quite asked you <laughs> what are your guys's personal views <laughs> you know it's like i keep telling you what i think about it and uh, you know it's just like nobody had really asked us this question particularly in this way so i was just talk thinking about it and i was like well you know the truth is our personal view is it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're in because either you're really afraid of the virus itself <laughs> or you're really afraid of the fact that there's so much mistrust and these people are trying to misguide us and they're trying to control us either way you're just dealing with fear and our reality is that on either end of the spectrum you're going to be caught and that's what tamas tends to bring into us this fear and interestingly the quality of tamas to move somebody out of tamas you can only move them in two ways krishna says through fear of punishment or just through time you have to leave them in tamas when somebody is in depression you can't kind of say chalo chalo get out of it chalo chalo get out of it you just have to let them play that whole sequence out in a much earlier chapter krishna had uh talked about the gunas again and he talked about it in sattva is like the smoke on f- obscuring fire that if you one little puff of wind and the fire is evident fire being the soul being the divine quality so that's just the smoke it obscures very lightly it's a very thin veil uh rajas is like rust on a mirror Well, you have to really kind of put out a little bit more energy to clean that rust before you can see clearly the reflection of the divine but he said tamas is like a child within the womb which means you can't hurry that process up it's going to take 9 months you better just sit back and tamas is such that really only time remember we talked about yogananda talking about the anguishing monotony starts to set in and that alone sometimes is what i i would admit <laughs> throughout the majority of especially my teenage years all the way into college thomas was you know my my main feature <laughs> it was just like nothing in this world interested me and i was just always my energy was kind of low 
but it really got to the point of the anguishing monotony of staying in this low state kind of made me realize that I need to get out of this state. But nobody could just tell me that, oh, you should be out of this state or not. And so, tamas, either fear works or just time. Rajas, on the other hand, is gain. If you tell somebody you're going to gain something from it, that's the Rajas vibration and then they act. So, if you're in Rajas, they want to know, what will I get out of this? You know, so uh, many of us approach the spiritual path that way. What am I going to get out of this? I want more energy. I want more awareness. I want greater clarity. I, I want even, even Yogananda said the desire for God is a Rajasic quality because there's still desire as part of it. When you're in Sattva, Krishna says, even the desire for illumination relaxes. And in Sattva, what be the only quality we're looking for is growth. How will I grow? How will I grow from this? And it, then it doesn't matter. Will I gain? Will I not gain? Is this good for me? Is this bad? My likes and dislikes don't play into this. In some persons, Krishna says, sattva is predominant, holding rajas and tamas in abeyance. In others, rajas prevails rather than sattva or tamas. And in still others, tamas obscures both sattva and rajas. This is a in nice word, obscure. Tamas is like darkness, right? I mean, when it's daylight, we see everything so clearly. Oh, this, these are my things, those are the plants, those are the beautiful trees, there's the this, there's the that. And the moment night falls, it is, none of that's evident to us anymore. It completely obscures us to reality itself. Krishna, when he talks about these three qualities, again and again, he'll say, Sattva brings this, Rajas brings this. And the only thing he'll say for Tamas is, Tamas brings ignorance. It's like, that's it. That's the reality of Tamas. We become completely ignorant to our own self, to others, to a greater reality. And we live essentially in that darkness. Yogananda said, the greatest... Um, Remedy for tamas is good company. You just need to be around people who are not in tamas and that's the only way you'll start to grow from it. And it's an interesting thing, the entire caste system in India in fact was based on the gunas. And that's the growth pattern that they saw. It was not hereditary, it had nothing to do with your birth, it had to do with the state of your consciousness. The Shudra consciousness was naturally tamasic and so their role in society became one of serving those that were in a higher station. In this particular case, they were serving primarily the Baniyas, the, um, what's the caste that I'm looking for? The Vesh. Vashyas, that's the word I'm looking for. And then the Vashyas were the Rajasic quality, which was, you know, Rajotamas, which is, what will I gain, what will I get from this, you know, and so they were willing to put out energy, but only if I'm getting a fair deal, and even in fact, I'd prefer if I were getting a better deal than a fair deal. And then you went to the Kshatriya, and the Kshatriya were Rajosattva, which were, they were acting a lot, but they were trying to act for the upliftment of all. And then finally you come to Brahman and the Brahmin quality was not those who were well versed in scripture and who could quote this or quote that, but who were in Brahman, who lived with God, who lived in God. And that sattva was their predominant quality. However, what's important to realize is you will always have all three qualities in everything. Uh, we were talking in the last class, in certain things in life, I have more sattva, but in certain things I have more tamas. 
in certain outlooks I have more Rajas, in certain ways I tend to be you know this way or that and so it doesn't quite matter if you found Sattva in certain things you know then try to find Sattva in other aspects of your life don't just assume that you know that's my predominant quality not necessarily what's also important to realize when we look at the fact that all three qualities exist in man is for us to always look in the sattva of others that means that in no matter who they are no matter at the greatest depths of tamas they will always have some sattva in them in some aspect swamiji says for a tamasic person just to be say to say thank you is their highest sattva state and if you can just get them to say thank you to be appreciative that's that's it that's all your so if i start dealing with somebody who has a lot of tamas and that's what i start to draw out of them just a little appreciative word here a little smile here a little time when their spine straightens up that's all what we're looking for but that's how we should see them not ah they are generally if we start putting that thought what will happen is we'll enter into a tamastic state as well because that's the beauty of this universe whatever we are able to perceive that's only because we're also able to live that particular perception and so we have to be very mindful of both understanding the gunas within us but primarily also trying to tune into the gunas in others when the light of discrimination shines through all of a person's sense gates it is clear that sattva predominates in him this is just exactly what we were talking about krishna is saying when through all your senses the light of discrimination shines then you're in sattva which means you see good you speak good you perceive good you hear good even in a person's you know <laughs> negative remark Swamiji would say, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one from the living wisely, living well. When somebody insults you, please thank them. <laughs> because they are reminding you that you are not yet perfect. That's sattva. To be able to hear an insult and say, oh, thank you for that reminder. It's true, I'm not yet in God. I need to work harder. That's sattva. To be able to bring light through every sense gate into your body. The Gandhiji ke teen wonder type. You know, just always aware. But it goes both ways. Shine light at everything and receive light from everything. When you're able to do both, then you can truly say, yeah, sattva predominates in me. If ever negativity comes, judgment comes, that's not right, that's not right, this could be better, that could be better, already the energy naturally tends to fall. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we're not going to uplift and change but we can uplift and change already being uplifted ourselves. We don't have to say it's bad in order to uplift it. We can say, oh great, I have an opportunity to uplift things and go and uplift it. So that's the way we need to tune into sattva within and without. When a person displays greed, restless activity and selfish motivation, rajas predominates in his nature. Greed, restless activity and selfish motivation so these things of course we see a lot in our own lives um, we live in a rajasic yuga 
just come into Dwapar, the quality of Dwapar is Rajas. And the quality of that particular Rajas is in this age, what we see a lot is the Vaishya caste, or when I say caste, I mean the Vaishya consciousness being really predominant. You've got our politicians who should be Kshatriyas, but they're very much Vaishyas. You've got all the business corporations that practically run the world today. You've got our own approach to the spiritual path, as I said, that tends to be a lot of Vaishya. What will I gain from this? Will I heal myself? Will I learn that? Will I learn that? A lot of people come and say, what powers am I going to get from the spiritual journey? Because that's our thing. What will I gain from this? And when you have that intention, this is how it's important to realize. Not like, oh, I'm restless, therefore I have Rajas. No. If I am in Rajas, I am naturally going to be restless. So if you're on the spiritual path, but your relationship to the spiritual path is what will I gain? You will forever be restless. Not because I'm restless, therefore I'm in Rajas. It is because Rajas exists in you. Because you express Rajas in everything that you do. You will naturally be restless. You will naturally be greedy, even on the spiritual path. I want more experiences and when's the next thing going to come and when is my Samadhi due? And that greed will make you more restless and it will make you more motivated by selfish intentions, even on the spiritual path. These are very important things to realize, to tune into. Ah, what is my relationship with God? Is it Rajasik? Is there a lot of give and take here? Ki bhai, now you know I meditated this much, so I expect this much in return. And tune into what perhaps the byproduct of it is. It's naturally reinforcing more ego in me. It's making me more restless than I need to be. And it's increasing greed. And anything, even on the spiritual path, just like the world seeps into our spiritual journey, our spiritual journey seeps into the world and this greed doesn't stop in one section. It will naturally exist also in the material world as much as in the spiritual realm. And inner tension as well. And it brings a lot of tension. And this is what we talked in our previous classes primarily because of the expectation we place every time we think we are the doer. Now, when a person's consciousness is dark, we're talking about that nighttime, completely obscured, lazy and neglectful of duty and inclined to understand nothing rightly. Tamas is his dominant guna. This is an interesting one. And inclined to understand nothing rightly. So many of us, we don't want to, you know, it's just like... We're constantly arguing with others, you know. No, my version is right. Because we're not interested really in truth. We're just interested in being right. And that's tamasic quality, which is an interesting thing. I would not have pegged it there. But when we're not open and we're, our consciousness is so dark, Swami Kriyananda, in whatever we got to observe of him, even in being right, he was always open to others being right. Even knowing exactly what was to be done, he would always say, what do you think we should do? When Swamiji would propose a project, you know, we'd be having a meal with him or something, he wouldn't just say, I think we should do this. He would say, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? 
you know, here we are like 20 something year olds and you know, this man not only so advanced in age, but so elevated in consciousness. And there he is. What do you think? Because never did it ever cross his mind that he knew it all. And that's such a beautiful sattvic quality. Whereas we would think sattva means who already has all wisdom and knows it all. But we don't want to be a know-it-all because in know-it-all, you can't open yourself to more of God's grace. If you're full, if the cup is full, as the great Zen saying goes, there's no more tea to be poured. And so that's another interesting quality of tamas. Stopping people from being able to give you something perhaps that could uplift you, could be higher. Of course, Swamiji would often say, 99% of the time people are wrong <laughs> in their advice or in their opinion or in their perception. But he said that's no reason to be closed to them because that 1% is always lurking. A person who at death has sattva predominant in him, rises to those high regions where dwell the knowers of truth. Again and again, Krishna has brought out death and the moment of death as being such an important time. And, uh, you know, at any other time reading this, we would have kind of think, okay, yeah, at the moment of death and at the time of death. But right now, in this very moment, this is a very real thing. I mean, none of us really know in this moment with the uncertainty that exists, with the chaos that we're seeing around us, with the, I mean, just the needless deaths that we're just witnessing. Just uh, yesterday, was it? Yeah. We did an astral ascension ceremony, you know, for 16 souls who've just left in a very short span within the last month or so. And this is just people we know in a very tiny circle, 16 souls already. Imagine just what's going on all over. So death no longer could should be something like, ah, yeah, you know, when I'm 70, when I'm 80, then I'll think about. Now is the moment to be very aware. Wow, what quality predominates in me? And what's important about realizing what predominates is these are not permanent states. The gunas are very fluid. Sattva can very easily turn back into rajas and turn back into tamas. So to be very mindful, the energy has to always be uplifted. And that's an important reality again. Think about these, especially the relativities in life. You've got a person, say for example, like um, you know Gandhi. This is one example Swamiji often used. And in the middle, let's assume like in the middle of the... <laughs> Uh, freedom struggle, you know, he's like, he's at there and he's like giving it his all and he's this renunciate, this non-violent messiah. And so imagine if he were suddenly to say, you know, now I'm pretty well known around the world. If I start my <laughs> business up once again, if I take up law once again, I'm going to make a lot of money. And you just like, immediately you can see that sattva would just turn back down. But you take somebody else who's like, you know, some uncle of yours who's like an alcoholic or, you know, just sleeps on his couch all day and watches today, you know, watches Netflix just day in and day out. Doesn't even have to be an uncle. <laughs> the majority of the people seem to have developed that great Siddhi. And if that person wakes up and suddenly says, you know what, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to make a lot of money for them. That's a great for them. You'll be like, yes, do it, go ahead. 
So from tamas to rajas is one flow and from sattva to rajas is another flow and one is a great fall and one is a great rise. In just every way, these gunas are constantly in motion. And with every thought they change, with every action they change, with every intention they change. So being mindful doesn't just saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's not a checklist of, I think I'm sattvic, you know. It's, am I sattvic now? Because right now, if God were to call me, what would have been the guna in that moment? That's where I want to be all the time. But what he says, which is interesting about being predominantly sattvic, as Swamiji explains, is that you will not return to earth. That when you ascend into the astral worlds, you will then now stay on in the astral world and work out only your astral karma and then continue on to a causal world and find your freedom through that process. To be predominantly sattvic, you won't have to return back to this primarily rajasic reality. So that's a beautiful kind of <laughs> incentive for us because the sattvic desires can easily be fulfilled in the astral worlds for beauty, for harmony, for greater cooperation. We don't have to descend back into an earthly realm in order to fulfill those. A person who at death has rajas predominant in him is reborn among those with strong egoic attachment to activity. So that's the womb that a generally rajasic person will look for. He won't even be able to stay in the astral realm too long. The very restlessness of his chakras will draw him very quickly back into activity and to a certain degree for continued evolution this is a wonderful flow it's a wonderful process because admittedly the majority of us tend to have rajas predominant in our lives you know we're an active uh, species so to speak and we're looking a lot ten, usually for gain and that gain continues to move us forward until having gained it all <laughs> we realize that this isn't what we were looking for and then that's where sattva then begins to become a more natural state for us one however who at death is permeated with tamas is reborn in the womb of someone who is steeped in delusion and in the family environment and objective circumstances that promote delusion now this is an interesting thing and when you look at the caste system and again I come back to it because of course it's corrupted to a, to a fair amount today but you can tune into why that whole hereditary process existed is because if you are in if you leave this world in a tamasic state chances are you'll be born again in a tamasic reality. If you leave in a rajasic state, chances are you'll be born into a rajasic reality. If you leave in a sattvic state, chances are you'll be born in a sattvic reality. And so they tuned into this, which is a, you know, a fairly mathematical truth. Whatever reality you, you display is just the one you're going to attract. But the beauty, as I said, of the gunas is the ability constantly to overcome and to uplift. 
and to lock somebody in and to say this is their reality and this is their caste and this is all they can do. That's where the corruption began. And then it became a system of control. And the entire potential that existed in the consciousness that these gunas opened to us was destroyed in the process because people were held exactly where they were. Whereas for us, we need to constantly see, where can they go? Ah, this person is tamasic, but look how much more is available to him to ascend upwards now. And let me see if I can participate in his ascension in any way. It is said that the fruits of sattvic action are harmony and purity of heart and mind. The fruits of sattvic action. So now this is a, you know, Krishna is talking about different things. A sattvic nature, a sattvic intention and attitude. And now we're at a sattvic action. How do I know if my actions are sattvic? Because action, by the very definition, tends to be rajasic, doesn't it? So if at the end of that action, meditation is an action, is an act, is a practice, it has to be done. If at the end of that action, you feel a harmony and a purity of your heart and mind, that there is no restlessness, that there is no compulsion, there is no expectation, that you feel completely at rest at the end of that activity. Then you know, ah, this activity in itself, an activity is not sattvic or one way or the other. I brought sattva to this activity. I took something that is inherently rajasic and I made it sattvic just by understanding how I felt at the end of that activity. So bring that consciousness to all your actions. Once this is over, how do I feel? Do I feel balanced, harmonized and pure in my heart, free from any kind of compulsion and expectation? Then you know, there was sattva throughout that activity. That, that those of rajasic action are pain and suffering. Now this is an interesting one. The fruit of rajas is pain and suffering. You wouldn't think that. Like I would think like the fruit of rajas is restlessness and you know the fruit of rajas is more egoic, whatever, just as what he said previously. But at the end of any, what he's saying here is not the quality of the rajasic activity. What he says is, what is the fruit of a rajasic activity? The fruit of anything which has desire, likes and dislikes and expectations, which are rajasic qualities. Any action which is seeded with a like or a dislike, with an expectation or based on a desire, is going to end in pain and suffering. Because at some point or the other, it will not be fulfilled. At some point, the expectation will not be fulfilled. At some point, the like will become a dislike and the dislike will become a like and the desire will not give you what you were looking for. And in that process, you will suffer and you will feel pain. But that pain and suffering, as I was talking about in my early days where you know life was just this gloom and doom, <laughs> the emo movement where everything is black, <laughs> that very pain and suffering 
awoke in me a deep desire to seek a way out of it. And often it is in the moments of that pain and suffering that we look up and we say, help me. And then we're lifted up above that pain and suffering. But look for every time pain and suffering comes to you. Look for what you've been doing. What activities have you been performing? What intentions and attitudes um, enliven those activities in you? And finally, of course, the fruits of tamasic action are the various manifestations of spiritual ignorance. Again, ignorance comes in. And Swamiji here adds to that, says, dullness of mind, slothfulness, stupidity, and general helplessness in confrontation with life's difficulties. So, you know, that's, the, that's why people turn to drink, to drugs, to things that, you know, dull them. I can't take this. Life's too hard. I can't even get the energy to actually go out and try to fulfill, even if they're just egoic desires. That's so much better than to dull yourself so that you don't feel at all. Because what that does is it dulls your ability eventually to feel God's presence. And it obscures your vision to be able to see the beauty that's inherently manifest in everything around you. And then you wonder why everything feels so dark. And then you wonder why it's so easy for, in fact, these systems to control us, to impart fear in us so easily. Swami has this beautiful song that we heard during the astral ceremony. I live without fear. And that needs to be a mantra for us. I live without fear. When you have no fear, nobody can subjugate you. Nobody can influence you in one direction or the other. And so live for that. Don't let the tamas say, oh, you know, let me just lower my energy. Let me just darken my own awareness. Let me just dull. Let me just go to bed. <laughs> and hopefully when I wake up, these difficulties would have passed. All right. Maybe we'll take a little stop there Break. <laughs> and see if Narayani has churned from <laughs> from these three gunas something by the way the great news is that our one week of nine energization exercises are complete we did it yes in fact I just wanted to bring that up because it feels so good not just to really win that challenge <laughs> But when you know that even the consciousness of truthfulness has been reinforced, we did, we said we will do it and we did it. And just for the very fact that we, you know, stood truth to our word, really it feels super good. <laughs> Today, one of the words that really stuck uh, inside was appreciation mm. and perhaps that's something that the world itself is trying to kind of nudge us and say guys are you appreciating really what life is giving you and i would like to propose for this week to work 
with the consciousness of appreciation and not necessarily to appreciate people because I want to make this week something very impersonal that has nothing to do with people but with life, what a life is bringing you, the situations that we are finding ourselves, the places we live, um, the kind of unexpected gifts that life brings to us, perhaps even positive thoughts, that's also a nice moment to appreciate. I mean, sometimes when I'm meditating and my mind is all over the place and suddenly I find myself centered, I know it wasn't me. And at that moment, I say to the divine, thank you, I appreciate so much that you just brought me back. So I would like to suggest this. The week has seven days. <laughs> so I would like for each one of us to take two moments a day. One in the morning, maybe the half day of the day, one moment where you will write in a paper something that you have appreciated during those four or five hours of the morning. And then the second half, to write down, perhaps at the end of the second half or before going to bed, for what you have been um, given and what you really appreciated for that afternoon. That means we have to do this exercise twice a day. So if the day has seven days, let's say we need to write down uh, how many times? Fourteen times. <laughs> So maybe and you can't repeat the same You can repeat the same thing. So whether it's a moment, whether it's a thought, whether it's you know appreciating the beautiful sunset, the fresh air, the building you are living in, you know, anything. But start bringing up within us that consciousness of appreciation that reinforces the consciousness of sadvic attitudes and sadvic qualities. Okay, so. Perhaps if you need to go to office or somewhere else, maybe you want to carry with you an envelope, envelope with 14 little papers where you will write that thing that you are grateful for. So we'll do that in the morning and we'll do that in the evening. We will keep adding those little papers or writing on those paper. And at the end of the week, we can see all those 14 things, moments, situations, events in, throughout the week that we need to be grateful for and remind ourselves, you know, how blessed we are. And hopefully, bit by bit, we'll start appreciating everything that life brings to us and eventually every single person. So if you are up for it, uh, I would say let's all work on the theme of appreciation and make it something practical, real, and let's become aware of the gifts that God gives to us daily in abundance and we just keep missing them. We just keep focusing on those things that are not important or the negative aspects of it or the faults, you know, or the things that have not come out in the way we expected. And then we have there 
you know, in front of us, all these gifts that we don't pay attention. So perhaps not this week. This week is going to be different. It's going to be meaningful, purposeful, and we will make sure that every day I'm going to find two things I'm grateful for.